Good afternoon, guys. My name is John Michael Becker, and uh, I'm a deacon at this church. And in two weeks, I'll be leading the Itaewon team to King Bar in Itaewon. So this is my second to last service. Uh, I've been here since January 1st, 2006. And so I think out of the non-Korean Koreans, I'm one of the very longest tenured here outside maybe Pastor Christian. And I don't know if Erica was before me. But, uh, yeah, it's been a good ride, and uh, I would love this church. I've been blessed in tremendous ways. And I just want to say a thanks to uh, Danny Suck for helping me with this suit. Uh, Thank you to the church for putting together the money for it. Thank you to G for choosing the pink shirt. It's a light pink. And uh, and then to Megan for choosing the tie. If you did not know, I'm colorblind. And uh, I have no fashion sense. And so when I came to church today and I, I walked into the meeting, um, Diana Suck looked down at my shoes and goes, oh, no. And I was like, man, I thought I did good today. And I wore the wrong shoes. But I'm behind the podium, so you will not be distracted. Praise the Lord. So, so this is a message uh, that has been stirring in my heart since actually last November. Uh, I was back in America in November 2009, and I was speaking at different churches and fellowships and met a lot of excited young folk. And they love to hear the stories about the orphanage ministry that I'm a part of, about the prayer movement, about the deliverance ministry, about Myanmar, about just all the different things that are going on here in Korea. And I remember at one meeting, it was just uh, on the side talking with some different people, and, and one guy was really excited. He said, oh, what's the most important lesson you feel God has taught you? Uh, while in Korea. And my answer uh, surprised him. It actually deflated him. Okay. All right, there we go. And um, he thought, I think I would say something about, you know, just directing an orphanage ministry or learning to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, casting out demons, you know, love for the orphan, love for the nations. Those types of things. And those are all lessons that God has been teaching me in tremendous ways while I've been out here. But my answer to his question was this. The most important lesson I feel that God has been teaching me in my life, uh, especially in these past few years, is humility. And with that, submission to authority. They kind of go hand in hand. And so the message, the title of this message today is A Most Important Lesson. Okay, there are a lot of very important lessons. This is not the most important lesson. But I want to tell you that God has a call on your life. He has an awesome call for each and every one of you. And if you do not get the lesson that is going to be shared today, you will not be able to fulfill that perfect call of God's on your life. This is a critical lesson. And God is continually teaching me. It's not like I'm there or anything like that. But there are three keys. I'm going to share today of doors that are blocking us from fulfilling the calling of God on our lives. Three doors that I've discovered and God has been helping me walk through. So if you are ready to receive this message, if you're ready to receive these keys that are going to help you walk through these doors, I want you to repeat after me. Give me my keys. Give me my keys. All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this privilege to speak today, God. And I just declare that hearts are open in this place. I declare, Lord, your light is coming in, God, that you just have a message of love for your people, God. You have a message of goodness for your people. And God, I just pray, Lord, uh, let your spirit 
Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, do your thing in this place. Bless your people. Raise us up, God. May we break through every door, every ceiling, Lord God, that is blocking us from fulfilling the true call that is over our lives, who we are called to be in you. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you didn't know uh, about me, God has given me a call on my life uh, to go to North Korea, to eventually go to North Korea and to build orphanages there. Uh, God has called me to really claim the children of North Korea and South Korea and North China, for that matter, as well. And this is kind of a, a, a big calling. If you didn't know North Korea, uh, it's, it's a nation that is in utter darkness. There are tons of starving people there, tons of orphans in the streets. Um, many people are called, not just me, but many people God is calling out to go into this nation and to save this nation. And over the years, I've met different ministries. I've met different students, different people who have a big heart for North Korea. I've also met other people who have big hearts for justice and sex trafficking and, and different things like that. And they are so passionate, and it blesses me. And they, they ask me with just all this excitement, hey, when North Korea opens up, you're going to go right in, aren't you? You're just going to go. We're going to take it. And I tell them, not a chance. There's no way I would go in North Korea if it were open up. There is no way. Because that country is covered in darkness. And I'm not going to go in there unless God has made the way so clear. He has prepared me to the fullest, and he is saying, now is the time. The door is open. I'm not just going to run through. I'm going to wait for God to point and say, go. Now is the time. And what I've discovered among all these passionate youth, amongst all these different workers, is that many of them have that passion, and they have these good intentions. But they go into the, the work with the refugees. They go into North China, into Thailand, into these areas. And they just get beat up. They get jaded. They, they go back home bitter and messed up. And I just know that good intentions is not going to get you anywhere in the kingdom. You have to be filled with the Spirit of God. You have to know who you are in God. And I've come to understand that each of us, we have a mighty calling on our lives. And there's a desire to jump the gun. There's a desire to just, I want to walk into it today. I want to be healing the sick today. I want to be evangelizing thousands today. Now, I'm telling you, God has callings like these on your lives. But he has a time of preparation for you. And many people would call this the desert experience or your wilderness experience. You see, Moses, he was in the desert for 40 years before God called him out to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Joseph, 13 years, slavery, working under Potiphar in prison before God called him out. Many scholars say that David was in the wilderness 11 years before he became king. These are just some of many examples of mighty people in the Bible that God first had go into the wilderness, first had go into the desert and be emptied of themselves and be filled with confidence in him. And I want you to open your Bibles right now to Song of Psalms, chapter 8. And you're going to see the power of the wilderness experience. Thank you. Song of Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms. This is the book of love. If you're not familiar with this book, the book of love. And in this book, we read about this couple that comes together how they meet and how they just start to fall in love and how they go through different things. And chapter 8 is basically the culmination of the book of love. It's the ending. And I want you to look at verse 5. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 5. It says this. Who 
who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? You see, as this couple comes out of the wilderness, the love that they've grown into, the intimacy that they have gotten into through the wilderness, through just being stripped of the things of this world and just growing so close to one another, hearing that still, small voice, understanding one another, it has transformed them to the point where they say, who are these people? Who, who is this coming up out of the wilderness? This is a new person. This is someone totally transformed. This is someone so secure, so trusting in God, so trusting in their beloved, no longer trusting or insecure or pride, proudful, but trusting, leaning on their beloved. And guys, I've learned to treasure this wilderness experience. I understand that North Korea, it, it might not happen for five years, 10 years, 20 years, but I know when the time happens, it's going to be wonderful. That Abraham, he had to wait 25 years for Isaac. But man, he wouldn't trade it for anything. John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness for almost all his life. But he got to meet Jesus and baptize Jesus. He wouldn't have traded it for anything. God is going to teach you these things during your wilderness period. You might think, Why am I, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here in Korea? What is going on with me? What, what are you doing, God? I, I want my call. I want to know who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. But I want to tell you that right now God is teaching you critical lessons that we need to receive in order for us to walk into that call. And now it's time for these keys, three of these keys that God has taught me. And the first key is this. You need to get over yourself. Okay? I say that in love. You have to get over yourself. The first key... For walking into the perfect will of God in your life, that call that he has on your life is getting over yourself and finding out who you are in God. Now let me share from some of my experiences so you can understand where I'm coming from here. I went to Virginia Tech. I studied to be an engineer. And after my first year, uh, I had a summer off and I needed to make money. So I worked construction. I worked as an electrician's helper. I was a skinny 19-year-old insecure kid. Had my bucket of tools. And I showed up, and, and there's just all these big, rough guys with language that I'd never heard of. And I'd watched rated R movies, um, but this was still language that was just, wow, I was learning new words every day. And not just the fact that I was young and inexperienced, but especially the fact I was a college kid who was studying to be an engineer who was usually above construction workers. Um, I got criticized quite a bit. I got demeaned quite a bit. And I had to learn to just get over myself, to just take it in stride. And I remember uh, there was one day I showed up to work at, at 6.28 in the morning. Work started at 6.30 in the morning. And uh, most of the workers would get there about 6.20, and they would just talk, you know, about women and, and smoke and things like that. And, and I pulled up 6.28. I was like, oof, right on time. Pulled out my tool bucket, and I'm running in, and my boss is waiting for me right at the entrance. And he does not look happy. And he yells at me, what time is it, son? Uh, 6, 6.28, you know, sir. And he's like, you know, what? And he looks at his watch, and he shows me his watch. He says, what does that read? He says, 6.35, sir. I can't remember what he said. It was just a lot of loud and anger uh, coming at me. But, man, he tore me up and down. 
just totally demean me. Worthless. What's wrong with you? And uh, he, he went into me. And it's just, it's like all that anger that he was throwing at me, it was just getting on me. It's like slime, you know? And I was getting angry. And I wanted to yell back. But, I mean, what could I do? And so the rest of that, that day, I'm just like, oh, I got all this frustration on me. Why, why would he chew me out, you know? My, my clock is right, you know? His, his clock is wrong, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was just frustrated. Well, then lunchtime came around, and, and he called to the guys, hey, it's, it's break time, 1123. I mean, 1130. And everybody starts saying, hey, boss, it's 1123. Your, your, your watch is seven minutes fast. And other guys are saying it too. And he says, oh, oh, really? Okay, my bad. He doesn't look at me. You know, I think he had just totally forgotten what had happened earlier that morning. But it, it bothered me. It's like, why don't you apologize? You just totally demeaned me you know, this morning. And, and I realized I had a choice. I had a choice. Do I just hold on to this frustration? Do I just try and defend myself and my pride and all this stuff? Or I just choose to get over myself? Let it go. It's a blessing. And I knew I, I had to let it go. I mean, how many of you realize you have a choice? You have a choice when people start throwing stuff at you of how you're going to respond. Well, four years later, I graduated. And again, uh, I had some time in between. I was waiting to see what God's will was for my life. This was before Korea. And I decided, well, I need money. I'm going to work construction again. So I went back and I thought, well, how much, you know, how much stronger have I gotten? Because I knew I was going to get criticized into me. Because now I even had my undergrad degree you know, in engineering. Oh, man, they're going to tear me up. Now, how am I going to do? And I got to work, and, and sure enough, oh, man, criticism. You do everything perfect, and they'll still find something wrong. And uh, they would just get into me. And I remember one day uh, I was working, and I was putting up an electrical box, and uh, it was against this, this hard surface. And so when I was drilling, I had to push really hard, okay? And this was just a typical day, typical thing, and I'm working, and I'm pushing really hard, and the drill skips right into my hand. Yeah. Thankfully, the drill bit was small. But uh, it happened, and I thought, what did I just do to myself? And it was just shock. And I look, and there's a hole in my hands right here between my index finger and my thumb. Just a hole I could just see right in there. I'd never seen inside my hand before. And uh, I thought, what have I done? So I go to the superintendent on the job site, and I say, excuse me, sir. And he's just off daydreaming, you know, just kind of stand there. And he goes, what? What do you want? I'm busy. And he's just like, you know, you're totally worthless, you know. I'm like, uh, uh, I, I, uh, I hurt my hand. Uh, he's like, wow, you know what? Well, I, I accidentally drilled into my hand. <laughs> he's like, Typical response. He goes, what did you do that for? <laughs> you idiot, you know. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. You know? <laughs> So, you know, he looks at it, and he's just like, that's nothing, you know. And, and, but thankfully, he, he had the compassion to give me the first aid kit. And uh, I, I put some alcohol on it, bandaged it up, and went back to work. And uh, the other construction workers, you know, my, my coworkers, they'd see me, and it was the same thing. Like, what you do? Uh, I, you know, drill slip. And, what you do that for? You know? Like, oh, I just get over myself. You know, forget it. Why should their words affect me? Why should I let their words demean me or, or affect me? I know who I am. I'm secure. I'm, I'm okay. And, and, you know, I look back, and it, it's funny. It's all right. It's memories like these. You learn to get over yourself. You can either just hide yourself away and cry or, 
or get angry and want to defend yourself or, or things like that. But really what God's looking for you to do is just get over yourself. Know who you are in God. I want you to understand that, that to be humble is not to degrade yourself and it is not to praise others. To be humble is to know who you are in God, your identity in God, and to be secure in who he has called you to be. Let me say that again because I think a lot of people don't know this. Humility, true humility, is knowing who you are in God, your identity in God, and being secure in who he's called you to be. You see, once you know your identity in God, once you're secure in God, you're no longer performing for others. You're no longer dependent on others. You know who you are in God. You're safe. You see, humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So when somebody comes with you with a critical word or with just straight-up demean you, insults you, how do you react? You know, do, you, do you get crushed? Do you get angry? You know, do you just want to run away and cry? Or how about when somebody praises you? How do you react? Do you thrive off of their words? Do you need their words to get by? Do you get, you know, big head? Do you think you're all that? Or do you deflect it away and say, oh, no, no, I'm just a worm. I'm, I'm nobody. You know, it's, it's all God. It's all God. You see, all those reactions are wrong. All of them are wrong. And Romans 12 shows us the way we're to react. Open up your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12, it's after the Gospels, after Acts. I'm going to read verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3, it says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Sober judgment, what does that mean? It simply means knowing who you are in God. You see, I'm a new creation. I'm redeemed. I belong to God. I'm a son of God. I'm his treasured possession. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm created for his glory. I know who I am in God. And because I know who I am in God, I'm no longer susceptible or reliant on what other people say about me. You understand that? Because I know who I am in God, I'm no longer reliant or susceptible of what others say about me. And there's also no reason for me to compare myself to others. People are going to have their own giftings. And we've got to rejoice in that. We've got to honor that. I don't need to be insecure if someone else is doing a better job at something than me. I know who I am in God. I don't need to exalt myself. I, I know who I am in God. I'm, I'm living to exalt God. I'm secure. I'm safe. You see, Moses' first step of coming out of the wilderness was getting over himself. God shows up to Moses, the burning bush, and he says, I've called you to go into Egypt and to take my people out into the promised land. And you want to know how Moses responds? He says, who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm not educated. They won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent of speech. I can't do it. I, 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 I. And God actually gets angry with him because Moses' identity is not in God. It's in himself. He's just thinking about himself. 
But he doesn't know who he is in God. And he doesn't know the identity that God is calling him into. And you know what? As Moses began to step into that identity, he led them out of Egypt. And if you read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 28 is just one long speech that Moses gives to the Israelites. This man who once said, I'm uneducated. People won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent of speech. He speaks for 28 chapters straight. Okay? You see the transformation when you start to know who you are in God? This is a powerful door to walk through. Humility is not beating yourself up. It's not comparing yourself to others. It's just knowing who you are in God, becoming secure in the calling that he has on your life. So you got your first key. You're going through that first door, and now God's taking you deeper. And this next door is a door that a lot of people don't like, especially our generation and the younger generation. And this door is submission to authority. And this is, this is something that I think a lot of you are aware of with this young generation. A lot of you are English teachers in this place. And you see rebelliousness in these schools. You see these kids just trying to build themselves up, trying to, trying to pretend that they're greater than the teacher or they're greater than this person, and they're just rebelling. You see this in society. But sadly, we see this a lot in the church today as well. We see this just rising up. And everybody, from the top to the bottom, this is an attack that, that is so common in the church. And the reason for this is actually pretty simple. Are, are you guys familiar with uh, Satan's background? Turn with me to Isaiah 14. And let's look at Satan's initial sin. Isaiah 14. Most Bible scholars agree that Satan was once a high-level angel in heaven. But he got filled with pride. He tried to exalt himself higher than God. He got cast out. Satan had submission to authority issues. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Let me read this for us. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut to the ground, cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Because of Satan's lack of humility, he began to see himself greater than God. And once you see yourself greater than someone, you can no longer submit to their authority. Okay, and so he began to raise himself up. And Satan's initial sin, lack of submission to authority, is this same sin that is attacking the church today. This is why we see so many church splits. You see just people in the church, different leaders in the church, they cannot work together. They cannot submit to one another in love. And they just start to their pride, causes division, just as Satan caused division in heaven. And you see other people, young Christians, will go church to church to church to church. And they will not settle on a church because they will constantly find little things wrong in the leadership. Little things wrong in the church that they just cannot submit to. And so they keep going, keep going, sheep without a shepherd. You even see it in gossip and complaining in the church. It's a lack of submission to authority. It's a lack of respect of the leadership. But God's word is clear. Very clear. 
He tells us to obey and to submit to our leaders. Now, I wasn't going to have you turn to this verse, but I, I think we should. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. It's in the New Testament. It's, it's a little before Revelation. Let's see this very clearly in the Word. Hebrews 13, I'm going to read verse 17, says this in the ESV. Obey your leaders and submit to them. for They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Guys, this is a lesson God is going to hammer into your life. And he's not just going to use leaders in the church. He's also going to use your boss. He's going to use your professor. He's going to use different authority figures that are in your life. Because if we cannot humble ourselves to submit to the leaders in our life, why should we expect anyone to humble themselves and to submit to our leadership? Does that make sense? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one perfect, not even one. If you expect your leader, whether it's in the church or out of the church, to be perfect, you are setting a very high standard for yourself when you start to get raised up. Judge not, lest you, you, you be judged. If you read the Bible, God likes to use tax collectors, fishermen, shepherds, former prostitutes to rise up as leaders. He likes to do this. And not to frustrate people, but so that their obedience is not found in man, but it's in God. It's to bring out this childlike humility, this just childlike obedience. God would use the humble to shame the proud. He loves to do this. And I experienced this in my own life. God has been teaching me this. I was in uh, college at Virginia Tech. And during my last two years, I served uh, in an Asian ministry. I was one of the only white guys. Go figure. And um, we had a new staff. And this fellowship it was not Campus Crusade for Christ or InterVarsity or one of those really grounded fellowships. And so the, uh, only really, the only thing that you needed to be a staff for the fellowship was one graduated uh, and then the other's Christian and available. Uh, it was not really a, a high standard. And that year, all of our staff, uh, they, they had to go on for different reasons. So we received a new staff. And a uh, lovely girl. She had just been saved a few years earlier. She did not have that much ministry experience. Uh, not that much at all. And she was our staff. She was the head of the fellowship. And I was one of the core leaders right under her leadership. And I remember there would be times where we would have leadership meetings and we would share our heart or how we're feeling that God is leading the fellowship, the different core leaders. And she would listen, but she would disregard our words at times and choose another path. And it, it, would, it would irk me, my pride, and, and just my devotion to God and how I felt I knew everything. And that, you know, I was just 100% here that, that this, is, this is right. I've, I've been in the church a lot longer. I, I know what's going on. But she would choose something else, and I would go home. And I'd be really frustrated. And I, I would just talk to God. I'm like, God, I really feel like I, I know what should be happening here. And God would be silent. And, and I, I keep praying, like, like God, God, you know, what, what's, what's going on? And this is what God would tell me time and time again. He said, you submit to her leadership and you bless her. You bless her. That's your second key, folks. It's not just submission to authority. It's blessing them. Praying for them and blessing them. 
God would never tell me whether I was right or wrong or she was right or wrong. He would just tell me, you bless her. You submit and you bless her. And I, you know, because of my pride, at times it was a little difficult, but I, you know, all right, we're going to pray. And I'd start to pray, and I would just start blessing her, blessing the situation, blessing the decision, all these things. And you know what? As I began to do this, my pride just started to fade. And I started to realize that this issue wasn't really as big as I was making it to be. And I started to realize that things don't hinge on me, okay? Things do not hinge on me. They don't hinge on her either. It hinges on God, and God is in control. God will take care of this. This is humble pie for me. And you know what? As I, as I blessed her, as I prayed for this, God began to give me a deep heart for her. I began to really treasure her more and more. I began to see things about her that I had disregarded before because my pride was blinding me. And you know what? I love that sister. I love her so much. And God used her in powerful ways while she was there at that ministry. His grace was all over her. And I learned a lot from serving under her. Who am I to exalt myself over someone? Who am I? Who am I to exalt myself over anyone? I don't care how they got into that leadership position. Nothing hinges on me. It all hinges on God. It is all in Him. I'll tell you, the moment you let pride in or you foster any disobedient spirit, you're relating a lot more to Satan than you are to Jesus Christ. That's a strong word, folks. Whenever you allow a critical spirit, spirit of division, spirit of pride in, and you start to just go over that in your heart and in your mind, you're relating a lot more to Satan than you are to Jesus Christ. I don't care if your leader is a shepherd, a fisherman, or a former prostitute. You pray for them, and you bless them. You study Joseph, David, Daniel, mighty men of God, and they got this key. Joseph, he had to serve as a slave under Potiphar. He was wrongly accused. But he was faithful in all he did, and he blessed his leaders. He had to serve under a prison war in one of the grossest prisons out there. But he was faithful, and he blessed so much that the prison war, he had favor, and the prison war began to just bless him in return. Then he had to serve Pharaoh for the rest of his life, this guy who said, I'm God. He had to serve this man, and he blessed him, and God blessed Joseph. David, he was so faithful. He served under King Saul, this man filled with this jealous spirit, just getting hindered by all these evil spirits. King Saul tried to kill David. David was so faithful, so humble. He continued to serve King Saul. He continued to bless him, submit to his authority. And even when he was running for his life from King Saul, he would still bless him every chance he got. The words for King Saul were only good. Daniel, read about Daniel in the Bible. His family murdered, killed. His hometown destroyed. His country ruined. He's taken as an exile, as a slave into a foreign country. He has to learn this new language in Babylon. And then he has to serve the man who ordered the destruction of his country. He has to serve this prideful King Nebuchadnezzar who also thinks he is God. And you know what? Daniel was faithful. Daniel not only served him and submitted to his authority, he blessed him. And he blessed every leader after him. And you look at Daniel, you look at David, you look at Joseph, God raised them up to influence three of the greatest kingdoms known to man. This is God's promise to you. As you are faithful, as you know your identity in God, and as you choose to just submit and to bless, to wait on the Lord, and to bless with that pure heart, God will raise you up. He will raise you up. I'm telling you, that, that boss of yours, 
at work that just really gets on your nerves, who yells at you and demeans you or, you know, things like that, God's using that person. Because when you're called into that real calling, you're going to get Christians demeaning you. You see every anointed person, they are persecuted. That's a promise in the Bible. If you are truly being used by God, you will be persecuted. And if you can't take it from your own leader, if you can't take it in the church, how are you going to take it when God starts to build you up? You've got to learn to submit and to bless, and God will bless your heart. Now, I, I want to say an aside for all the uh, small group members in this church. If you are a part of a small group in this church, I want you to raise your hands. Raise your hand if you are in a small group. Raise it high. Raise it high. Raise it high. Raise it high. Okay, we got a lot of small group members. If you are not in a small group, I want to encourage you to get discipled, to get in this. But I want to say a danger in the small group process is that you meet with your members each week and you basically share all your struggles and all your sins and just all your frustrations. And it becomes, I mean, pardon my vocabulary, but you just start to vomit on each other. It's just, oh, you know, every week, oh, messed up again, you know, like, oh, you know. And it's just, it's no good. But I want to encourage you that the focus on your time together should not be on your struggles, should not be on these, these mistakes, on these things in this past. It should be on who God has called you to be, your identity in God and where he is calling you to go. He has called you out of his darkness, out of, out of the darkness, into his marvelous light. He's called you out. And you're not walking backwards. You're walking forwards into that marvelous light. And I want to encourage you, do not go into your small group meetings thinking, okay, I, I just got to vent. I got to let everything out. No, you go into that to learn from your leader, to allow your leader to direct you and to build you up. I want to tell you, if you want to have fun reading the Bible... Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and underline every time the disciples speak. It's actually a lot of fun. You see that their words are not that bright. It's not that good, okay? Let me give you a sampling. How will we ever feed these people? That perfume she's pouring on your feet is such a waste. I will never deny you, okay? I won't believe unless I see the marks in his hand and put my hand into his side. Okay? And you read it over and over. Look, Jesus, the fig tree you cursed is cursed. Okay. You guys get this? And nearly every time they spoke, Jesus either had to rebuke them or he just gave them the silent treatment. Okay? It's pretty comical. All right? Just, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you'll see this. The one time Jesus praised one of his disciples, there was only a couple times they say something right. And the one time he praised the disciple, yeah, you're, you're right on. Just like the few verses later, that, that disciple gets filled with pride, says something stupid, and Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Okay? You've got to understand, your time of discipleship, your time in this wilderness, God is training you. God is building you up. Okay? The disciples' words only became powerful after they stepped fully into the identity God had called them into. Then their words had power. Then you read the book of Acts, and it's like, oh, this is all good. You read 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John. You read this stuff, oh, this is good. Because they had stepped into that identity. They had, they had accomplished that wilderness time. So with, with that said, I want to encourage your small group members here. Pray for your leader. Okay, I don't, I don't care how 
educated, how brilliant or how gifted or how struggling your leader might be. You bless them because God has put them over you for a purpose. And God is going to use them to train you, to strengthen you, and to build you up into the calling that God has on your life. Amen? Amen. All right, the last key is a very simple one, but it's a very important one. You've learned the first key. It's walking in humility. For walking in humility is to understand your identity in God, to be secure in God's calling in your life. You've gone through that door. Your second key is submitting to authority and blessing them, blessing them, praying for them. And now this last key. This is the key that removes bitterness. This is the key that causes close relationships, that creates families. And this key is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Be thankful. We have to be thankful for the people God has put in our lives, for the people that have blessed us and the people that have made life very difficult for us. And part of being thankful is showing honor. What is honor? It's finding something about someone that, that, that deserves respect and just honoring that, putting it on a pedestal, just blessing them in that. You have to be thankful. Because you find in our church today that there's very little of this. Whenever a Christian leader messes up, whenever a Christian leader says something controversial, Christians... Fellow Christians tend to just eat them up, tear them up, and throw them out. When you see a big revival, and then somebody messes up, and then it's just, well, man, throw out the revival. This guy just totally messed it up, and they, he just gets slammed completely. There is no grace. There is very little grace in the church today, let alone thankfulness for that awesome revival, thankfulness for these, these things that have happened. If you look in your Bible, you don't have to turn there, but you look in your Bible at 2 Samuel chapter 1, you will see one of the most beautiful songs ever written. 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's a song that David writes right after he hears about King Saul's death. Now, King Saul was the man who's tried to kill him, who's been chasing him for 11 years. He has taken his wife from him. He has killed priests of the Lord. He's even consulted a witch He's the man that is blocking David's calling on his life to be king. And Saul finally dies after 11 years. And what does David do? He weeps. And he writes a song of thanks and honor to this man who was his leader. He writes a song of praise of a man that we in the church today would just throw out. We say this man is evil. Do away with him. David writes a song of thanks. That's a mark of true humility. That when you're not just able to, to, you know, get by, know your identity, to not just submit, but, and not just to even pray for them, but to thank God for those who have been so difficult on us. To thank God for just the, the little areas that you see. Even if they didn't even do anything good, you see that they are made in the image of God. That they are made in God's image. That they are someone beautiful. And you're able to find thanks in that. It's as we grow in thankfulness that we're able to walk through that third door. That we're ready for that calling that God has on our lives. So I want to encourage you, whenever a critical thought comes in your mind about someone, whether in the church or out of the church, before you start to entertain that thought, I want to encourage you to say a word of thanks for that person. Say a word of thanks for that person. And I think often you will find that that critical thought, it will just start to dissipate. It will start to fade away. You will be filled with that grace to love and to bless. The greatest example of this is Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2, and I'm going to close. 
Philippians chapter 2. I'm leaving in two weeks. Don't worry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Might, might want to get that out of the podcast. All right, Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. It says this, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came down as a humble baby, born in a manger. He lived as a carpenter, a humble man, humble beginnings. He took care of 12 unruly men and discipled them for three years caring for them, shepherding them, loving on them, training them for the call that God had on their lives. And he knew all along that one of those 12 men was going to betray him. Scripture says he knew who that man was that would betray him. And he also knew that these men would abandon him in his greatest time of need. But you know what? The night before that, he got them together and he washed their feet. He loved them. He blessed them. He blessed them. Even the man that would betray him, he washed his feet. And then he goes into the garden, and his disciples fall asleep on him. His disciples just drop the ball. And we read in John 17, the prayer that Jesus lifts up. And he says, I thank you, God, for these men. I thank you, God, for these men. And I bless them. I bless them. These men who are completely going to abandon him and deny him. He said, I thank you, God, for these men. Jesus was ready to fulfill the calling on his life. He was ready for the cross. You know what? Jesus knew all along their sin, their bad behavior. He knew that they would deny him. He knew that they would just just mess things up completely. But he still chose to love them. He still chose to bless them and to give thanks for them because he knew once they knew their identity in God, once they began to walk into that, to walk through those doors, they would take nations. And I want to tell you, church, That God has a calling on each and every one of your lives. Whether you've been here for a long time or you're a newcomer today. Whether you've known Christ for 10 years or just one day. God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He has plans to give you a hope and a future. He has a calling on your lives. He has a mighty calling on your lives. He loves you and he knows, man, as you just start to walk into who he has called you to be, as you walk into that identity, as you just continue to bless those around you, to bless those above you and to give thanks, he is going to build you up. He is going to honor you at that proper time. He will bless you, church, because he loves you. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, that the things of this world that we experience, fear, shame, Pride, these are not of you. These are not of your kingdom. These are not of our identity. And when we feel these things, Lord God, they are not us. Because you have called us, Lord God, to be more than conquerors. 
You have called us, Lord God, to have joy in you, to have strength in you. We are called as your sons and your daughters. And we thank you for the identity that you have given us, Lord. And we bless your name. And God, I just speak a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this church as they are discipled, as they continue to just grow in the church and at work and to, Lord God, just learn, Lord God, how to submit and how to bless and how to give thanks, that you are going to raise them up, that you have mighty plans for every person in this church, God, that you see them, Lord God, and you are so proud of them. You are so excited for them, God. And I declare that they are not of this enemy. They are not of rebellion. They are not of this world, God. I declare, Lord God, that we are of you. We are a chosen generation, Lord God, a royal priesthood, Lord God, a people belonging to you. And we are running into that marvelous light. We are not running into the darkness. We are not of the darkness. We are the light of this world. We are the salt of this earth. And I just speak strength rising up in your church right now. I speak joy rising up as we understand who, you, who we are in you, that we will not be susceptible to the words of this world anymore. We will not be reliant on the things of this world any longer because we will know who we are in you, citizens of heaven, seated in the heavenly realms, eternal beings. We exalt you, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these keys. We thank you, Lord God, for your word, for your truth. We thank you for the men who have gone before us, who have been that example, God, for David, for Daniel, for Joseph, for Abraham, for John the Baptist, for all these others. We exalt you, God. We thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.